In this text that we're about to hear, we find ourselves at the beginning of it all, the dawn of creation. Well, technically, it's the sixth day of creation, when God created humankind, and we are told that we are created in God's image. Now, it's probably worth mentioning that the book of Genesis, where this comes from, is a mythological text. It was never intended to be uh, historical or to be taken literally, but rather to help us imagine where we come from and the nature of our relationship with our Creator. Now, that said, there are two things in this scripture that I believe to be true. The first is that we are a reflection of God who fashioned us, not like old Geppetto and his puppet Pinocchio in the direct and literal sense, but rather through a cosmic and mysterious process that spans millennia. One could even argue that we are still unfinished, a work in progress. It certainly feels that way sometimes. The other thing in this story that I believe is true is that God calls us to be stewards of creation, tenders of the proverbial garden. And I fear that we've done a rather poor job of it. For while we may be a part of God's creation, we are not perfect. And our creations are even more flawed than we are. A reading from Genesis. Then God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of all the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Today I'd like to talk to you about something that I believe is incredibly important. The Imago Dei. In a nutshell, the Imago Dei is the belief that all humans, human beings are made in the image of God. Now, I'm sure there are some of you out there wondering why this matters. After all, don't all people have flaws, and doesn't that mean that they cannot be made in God's image? Well, let me tell you a secret. We all have flaws, but that doesn't mean we aren't 
created in God's image. Think about it this way. The Imago Dei is like a reflection in a mirror. It's a reflection of who we are, but it's also a reflection of something much bigger and more powerful. We are all made in the image of God, and that means that each and every one of us is valuable and worthy of respect. So the next time you find yourself feeling down or discouraged, remember, you are made in the image of God, and that means that you have an incredible purpose. Believe in yourself and never forget that you have a divine spark inside of you. Well, I was getting bored just reading that. I did not write any of that. You probably figured that out by now. Um, not that it's not true. I, I don't disagree with it, but um, I didn't write it, and I can't attribute it to any credible source. It was composed in about five seconds by a machine learning program called ChatGPT, an artificial intelligence that has been disrupting the tech industry as of late and threatens to disrupt countless other industries going forward. With a simple prompt, in this case, I told it to write a short sermon about being made in God's image. It can produce sufficiently credible content that can pass for human intelligence. Now, various industries like manufacturing and social media have leaned on machines and machine intelligence for some time. But to my knowledge, this is the first time that these creations of ours are actually able to create things of their own. Music, poetry, artwork, even photographs of people that don't actually exist. I saw a photo recently of three young women at what looked like a nightclub smiling for the camera, just having a good time. It was convincing, except that the girl in the front had too many teeth in her mouth, like a shark. As for the written words, students are already using this technology to their advantage to generate papers and essays, much to the dismay of their professors. And artists, musicians, journalists, and copywriters are all getting pretty nervous. Now for my part, I'm not especially worried about being replaced by a robot. As you probably noticed right away, the writing that I just shared here lacks my, or shall we say, je ne sais quoi my inimitable style and panache. I mean, the AI is a competent enough preacher, but it's also kind of boring. So I tried to push the envelope a little bit further to see if ChatGPT has a sense of humor. I entered a new prompt, this time for a witty sermon on the same topic. Today I want to talk to you about the beautiful truth that we are all made in the image of God, it said. That doesn't mean we can't make jokes about it. For example, have you ever noticed that God has a pretty terrible sense of fashion? He wears the same thing every day, a long white robe with a golden sash around his waist. I mean, talk about boring. That's it. That's the whole joke. No, I'm not jealous. No, I'm not getting defensive. I just don't think there's any substitute for the real thing. 2,000 years ago, among the earliest Christians, there were various competing beliefs and sects that were struggling to dominate the theological narrative. All of that was effectively shut down after the Council of Nicaea in the fourth century with the emergence of what would come to be known as the Catholic Church. 
But prior to that, there were a pretty wide variety of strange ideas floating around out there. One of the more popular sects was known as Gnostic Christianity, gnosis being the word for knowledge. You see, the Gnostics believes, believed uh, that they were in possession of secret knowledge about the universe and that everything we think we know is wrong. This, of course, is in contrast to those who profess to be agnostic, which means they have no knowledge about anything. Uh, they, these Gnostics believed they had secret knowledge, and according to the Gnostics, prior to the creation of the material universe that we read about in Genesis, there was an endless light, and that light was God. And God was surrounded by a host of beings called aeons, which had emanated from the light. Now, one of these aeons, whose name was Sophia, loved God, and she decided that she wanted to imitate God and create something of her own. The result, sadly, was an abomination, a creature of both spirit and matter that was like nothing that had come before. Ashamed of what she had done, what she had created, Sophia wrapped this thing in a cloud and cast it out into the void where God would never find it. Now this thing floating in the endless abyss, unaware of anything beyond its own existence, came to believe that it was God. And it too decided to create something. It built the physical universe, including the earth and everything on it. The Gnostics called this builder the Demiurge, and they believed that it is none other than the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. Insanely powerful, but also jealous and violent. Godlike, but not God. And the Christian Gnostics believe that Jesus was an aeon, much like Sophia, come down to earth to teach us of our true nature and to liberate us from our collective prison of flesh. Now, while I don't personally subscribe to any of this, this story does teach, I think, a valuable lesson about the act of creation. Namely, that as creatures build their own creations and those creations create new things, they get further and further away from the source, the prime mover, like a radio signal that decays over long distances. And the further away our world gets, the more it deteriorates. Unlike the Gnostics, in our tradition, we believe in the sanctity of the created world. And according to the book of Genesis, God made us stewards and caretakers of it. It's our job, our calling, to care for it sustainably. But in our collective hubris, much like Sophia, our ancestors decided that we could create something better. An entire creation built on top of God's creation over centuries, an industrial society of glass and steel, oil and plastic, property and capital. And on top of that, we built yet another layer of reality, a digital creature of ones and zeros that is now creating things of its own, threatening to disrupt the society we've built, much as our society disrupted God's original creation. 
And I fear that with each step we take in this direction, we are getting further from the source of things, that our divine connection is slowly disintegrating. There's a mantra in the tech industry, which is to move fast and break things. Be creative, be innovative, throw it all against the wall to see what sticks, what sells. But this desire to move fast and break things conflicts with another phrase that we often hear, namely that just because we can, that doesn't mean we should. That's the lesson of Eden, ultimately, in the tree of knowledge that precipitated our mythological fall. Frankly, the speed at which some of our innovations are unfolding is a little bit frightening. And we seldom stop to consider the consequences of what we're doing. We didn't consider that industrial agriculture would lead to a population explosion that drove us into ecological overshoots. We went from two billion people to eight billion people in three generations. We didn't consider the environmental impacts of oil and gas, even though it turns out that corporations like Exxon had a pretty good grasp of the science and had made accurate predictions about our current predicament decades ago. They buried it and forged ahead with business as usual. We didn't fully consider the ramifications of the internet or how it would alter the fabric of human relationships. And we really haven't considered all of the implications of artificial intelligence before making it widely available to the public. According to our scriptures, each of us is made in the image of God. We are a reflection of God's light and love. But we ourselves are not God, no more than an artificial intelligence is human. We are remarkable creatures who have developed remarkable things. We've created arts and music and literature. We've built grand cathedrals and cities that reach to the heavens. We've unlocked many of the secrets of the human body, developing medicines and procedures that can prolong life. We've even reached the stars and set foot on the moon. But we've also created nuclear weapons and social inequity. We've designed soul-crushing bureaucracies and inhuman labor practices. We've waged war against one another, and we have devastated our planet. Much like an AI, we are just smart enough to be dangerous. Now, there are plenty of intelligent, well-meaning folks um, who put their faith in advanced technology, who believe that AI can solve our predicaments, perhaps solve the puzzle of nuclear fusion at scale, for instance, or that geoengineering can mitigate the effects of global warming. And maybe those things are true. I can't really say, but given our track record and the unforeseen consequences of our so-called progress, I remain skeptical. I am a believer in science, and like just about everybody else, I'm a consumer of technology. I'm not a, a Luddite. I don't you know, necessarily think we should all run off and join the Amish. Um, and you know, as a consumer of these things, in some way, I may sound like a hypocrite pointing out their flaws. But you know, 
That doesn't mean they aren't true. Uh, Wes Jackson, who was a anthropologist and environmental scientist, once wrote that human beings are a species out of context, meaning that we have built a world that we are not biologically evolved to actually live in. And I just worry that some of our endeavors might be driven by hubris more than wisdom. And I'm afraid that we don't know how to tell the difference. Christ showed us a better way and a better world. A path forward, one dictated by love and compassion and gratitude rather than exploitation, greed, and endless growth for its own sake. If we could live more simply, more humbly, we might not need potentially dangerous technology. Though I admit that that's easier said than done in the culture that we've inherited. Still, as we look toward the future, I think we should remember that just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Rather than moving fast and breaking things like my seven-year-old son in a china shop, namely God's creation, is what's being broken, perhaps we should slow down and care for it, respect it, appreciate it, nurture it, as God instructs the first human beings on the sixth day of creation. Because if we keep rushing forward without looking where we're going, I fear what will happen on the seventh day. Not long ago, a Swedish artist named Steph Swanson discovered a strange phenomenon, a kind of ghost in the machine. She was experimenting with AI art tools and entered a prompt asking the machine to generate an image, of all things, that was the opposite of Marlon Brando. It produced what looked like a, a logo for an imaginary business. Well, then Swanson asked for an image that was the opposite of that logo, wondering if it would produce an image that looked like Marlon Brando, but instead it produced something entirely unexpected. Four images of the same middle-aged woman with dark eyes, deep creases in her rosy cheeks, and a haunted expression on her face. I immediately recognized this as an anomaly, Swanson said. If you use negative prompts, a lot of times it's really varied, she tells reporters. So it was really unusual to get a bunch of images of what was recognizably the same woman. Even if you describe a person in a positive prompt, she says, you get people that match that description, but you don't get literally the same person. So Swanson decided to experiment further, and she asked the AI to combine an image of this mysterious woman with another picture. In this case, it was a portrait of people arriving in heaven, surrounded by angels. It was a very wholesome image. But to her horror, the machine produced a series of grotesque and violent scenes, all of them featuring the same mysterious woman. This entity, who calls itself Loab when queried, does not technically exist. And yet, the software continues to reliably produce haunting and macabre images of her based on random prompts. 
She's always depicted in the same environment, what appears to be a house in some advanced state of decay. And when asked who this phantom woman is, the AI replies, I am Loab. I don't really know who I am or why I'm here. I just know that I appear in these images for some reason. Maybe I'm a figment of the imagination of whoever is creating these images. Or maybe I'm some sort of digital entity that exists within the AI itself. It concludes, I guess maybe AI is capable of creating things that we don't fully understand. And if we're being honest, I suppose you could say the same thing about us. We are capable of creating things that we don't fully understand. And that is why I believe rather than relying on our own hubris, we do better to trust in God's wisdom. Amen.